and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast. And on our websites. <laughs> Sorry. And on our websites. At... <laughs> God, what the hell am I doing? GuyEmily.com and AlexLacy.com for information about our upcoming walking tours and virtual tours, as well as what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. Seriously? Oh, dear. And that was with it in front of us. <laughs> oh, oh, we're useless. Absolutely useless no podcasters. Anyway, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this competitive sweating competition. Oh, gosh, isn't it? How are we doing? Are we keeping cool out there? Probably not. We're 90% melted at this end. Mm. Um, Have you got your paddling pool up? Paddling pool is up, yes. And when we finish this, I'm getting into it. Are you actually, are you, can, are you wearing your swimming costume now? (laughs) Can you give it a little twang so people know that you're wearing lycra? (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my swimmers, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Fantastic. It's just so hot. I just, I would be naked, except I know that you probably wouldn't appreciate that. Hey, look, I mean, <laughs> go for it. Uh, oh, I thought yeah. you were literally, you put your hands behind your no! back then as if you were like about to. I'm just going to strip off now. Oh, I just, it's, yeah, it's, it is roasting in, in the UK. Goodness me. It How is. are you dealing with it? Yeah, all right. It's I'm fine because I absolutely adore the heat. It's just trying to keep calm and cool. Um, we've got quite a big fan, and she's just been been in a nappy most of the time. But uh, yeah, hot, hot, hot. Goodness, I am not made for the heat. I am, you know, I am a stocky Anglo-Saxon. I am not made for high temperatures. <laughs> anyway well welcome back everybody lovely to uh to have you back with us uh this week um it's been a busy week i've been away what have you been up to um i had a tour on saturday i was out and about yes i did a two-hour tour along the south bank which was amazing uh really nice super busy super sweaty but (laughs) Yeah, lovely to get out for a little bit. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I've yeah. I've toured the last two days, and you just you just swept, and I'm I'm sort of just not even going to apologise for it anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> no, I can't don't. do anything else. I'm just going to stand here and sweat. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of my superpowers, to be fair. Um, it's a very good superpower to have. Very good superpower. <laughs> as long as there's not a scent with it, you can sweat. Oh, that's why they were standing far away. Oh, was that it? <laughs> Sort yourself out, Alex Lacey. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Anyway, anyway, on with the podcast. Um, so this week, well, last week, we need to just tidy up um, last week's episode, which was all about, Emily? Last week, we spoke about... The Festival of Britain. The Festival of Britain. <laughs> I thought it was your week. <laughs> I was trying to, like, sing that out to try and make my mind jog I can, quickly. I can see your eyes just going, what, what we was it? What was spoke- it? About was um <laughs> yeah festival. It was the festival of Britain so <laughs> festival we, of Britain we picked our favourite kind of crux points or important bits of it for you to vote on which was your favourite um for the podcast pedestal and mm. we had my option was the Skylon which was this kind of crazy alien looking sculpture sort of hanging over the South Bank which frankly I reckon should have stayed um mm. and that was my pick what was your pick. My pick was the steel drum band. So basically the first time that Britons heard the sound of steel drums um, was at the Festival of Britain. And it was a band from Trinidad. So, yeah. I I love it. Especially when we're talking about, you know, the Windrush generation of that that, Mm. um, time. So it was really lovely to kind of include um, some of the people who were coming in. That's great choice great choice it's very close this week we've gone back to a close one yes well mine was super close so that so was mine i think mine was close the same amount of votes that yours was close as well really on your side uh, yes oh all right yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it was 48 to 52 in the end <gasps> 48 to 52 48 to 52% very brexity i'm um, guessing by your eyebrows i have lost this week are you 
Oh. You have not. You've won. You're kidding me. Yes. Have I? Wow. Steel John Band won it oh this week. Oh, my God. Da-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la
Um, this is not something that the British government are particularly keen on. Um, Churchill, famously later in the Second World War, he he is very anti-Indian self-rule, um, and as as are a lot of politicians. So what they find is that bit by bit, they are uh, seem to be being surveilled by the British more and more and more. So in the end, her father decides, right, stuff it. We're going to go to Paris. So in 1920, after the end of the second, uh, the First World War, he upsticks, takes the family and moves them over to Paris. And so by this point, Noor is six mm-hmm. and she lives there with, she's got three younger um, siblings by this point. You've all been born uh, in the UK and they live in Paris all together. And she lives there until she's 26 years of age. So okay. bear in mind, she's grown up there essentially for the most part of her formative years. She speaks fluent French. Now this is going to be very key in a little bit. Okay. So what Noor does is something happens in 1927, which really kind of shapes her childhood. Her father decides he's going to go back to India. Um, he'd not been very well and he was really feeling this pull to go back to uh, his homeland. And the family kind of knew that he wouldn't be coming back. They sort of, you know, they, they kind of figured it. Uh, and a few months later, they got the news that he'd actually died. Now, oh. Nora's only 13 at this point, Gosh. And her mother does not take this very well. Her mother goes, just basically shuts down and doesn't really want to see anybody. She kind of goes into seclusion and, and she's not going to come down and meet anybody who comes to the house or anything. So Noor, being the oldest sibling, she's 13 years of age, she has to start mothering her three siblings who are all younger. So this is quite an interesting uh, development because it really, you know, she is forced to take this role on mm-hmm. and it makes her very, very um, organised and very independent and really also she's very very interested in child welfare too now eventually she kind of her mum after a quite a significant amount of time she manages to get her mum to come around now her mum was as i mentioned um a white american woman who when she married uh nor's father had changed her name and had taken the name amima begum okay and she wore um muslim dress and outfit but after her father died and Noor kind of eventually coaxed her out. She went back to wearing Western dress. There's this quite interesting sort of juxtaposition going on in Noor's life as yeah, well. Yeah, it's quite a few culture fusions, isn't there? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Which, which I think is, is what's going to stand her in good stead when we come to the crux of the story later. So, okay. apart from her father dying, you know, everything's fairly normal in Paris. They would dress in their Indian clothes and give concerts, uh, for guests because like I say her father was a musician and they were all really really musically talented and the four of them formed a quartet so they were playing you know music to people who would come and you know friends who'd come and listen but obviously this this thing of having to take on this role as as mother to her siblings was uh, had sort of burned on her quite heavily so she goes to the Sorbonne of all places this amazing mm-hmm. you know the the Ivy League of the of, of France and she studies child psychology oh wow right so you can see where all this has come from and she and i'm guessing at that time you would have had uh, you would have needed quite a lot of money to get in there now do you know what i don't know about that um i have to say i'm not sure i would suspect so uh but i don't know anything about their financial situation it's an interesting question okay (laughs) hmm Interesting, much to do a bit of digging. Um, she yeah. also joined a another school to study music. So, you know, all of this is... is oh, God. Kind of Lots in. going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, when she's at this school, she meets, and again, rather crucially, a Jewish musician. And she sort of... They, they end up dating. And she kind of becomes engaged to him, although it's not really... Not kind of formalised. Um, but now, how would you imagine her family would take this? Um, I think they'd be a little bit dubious. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, they'd be a little bit worried. They kind of disapproved in quite a big way, actually. And this really was a problem for her because she didn't quite know. She felt quite divided between her family and her fiance. So, you know, but bear in mind that he is a Jewish musician. That's going to come back again. All of these things are kind of put them all in the pot. 
Give them a bit of stir, and later mm. you're going to see where all of this kind of comes together. I feel like we're going to have quite a few crux points to. Uh, <laughs> we might that later for our podcast. We might. I'm, I'm setting them up. We might have to have a seven or eight. Um, she goes on quite interestingly to write children's stories. She writes a ton of them. She contributes to uh, French radio and magazines. She gets published in the se- uh, the Sunday section of a very famous French newspaper, which is still around today, called Le Figaro. Oh, yeah, I know. She, so she's doing this is incredible stuff. She also publishes a book, which is a collection of uh, sort of Buddhist based um, kind of fables and things like that. Okay, and this gets published in both France and the UK. So she's doing, you know really quite well and i guess that she's got this kind of um because she's looking after her siblings she has to earn some money she's got to look after them yeah um and by this point they would have been a bit older so they'd probably be going out to work and study and all that, thing, oh, that right. kind of thing as well by this point she's about 26 ish maybe something like that so it all changes when we get to 1940 now of course she's living in paris What's going to happen in Paris in 1940? It's going to fall to uh, the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that um, Noor has really... Like a, 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 this is a sort of a tenet that her father has given her through all of his Sufi um, teaching and belief that uh, they've got this very staunch non-violence um, sort of uh, belief within them. And also the fact that all religions can kind of exist alongside each other so she's come from this very sort of tolerant background and she she you know fighting against sort of fascism and occupation all this kind of stuff but they are staunch pacifists so she is kind of thinking like you know this what they're doing coming across europe persecuting the jewish and taking over other countries i'm not okay with this but i'm also a pacifist so when they come to London, she and her brother, her brother was called Viliat, uh, they decided that they, they opposed all of what, what the Nazis were doing, but, and they were also staunch pacifists, but they felt that they were kind of morally, I guess morally obliged to take a more active role, but very crucially one that is not going to involve taking a life or killing somebody. Okay. Yeah. So this is quite an interesting, you know, thought of where are you going to go from here? Yeah, what are they going to do? So of course, if you think about it, she is Muslim. Mm-hmm. She's been sort of engaged to this Jewish guy. Yeah. So she has got this this urge that she needs to do something as well. So when Vilayat um uh, signs up and I can't remember exactly what what um he goes into, Nor thinks I need to do the same. And she was a really, really um, sort of, she was so pushed to do this that she went up to the Women's Auxiliary Air Force or the WAF. Okay. And she said to them, look, I want to, I want to sign up. I want to be part of this. I want to be doing something to help. And what's really hilarious is she had this interview with them to figure out, you know, if she's the right kind of person, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And during this interview, she says to them, look, I am massively pro Indian self-rule. I am very against what the British are doing in India. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, okay, okay. And she said, look, when the war's over, I'm probably going to be supporting India against Britain. Yeah. And they're like, oh, hang on. So we've got this person who is willing to sort of come in and fight for fight us Fight on now. our side, but... But and it's this, going to be against us soon after. This is what's so interesting about her mm. is that she has this massive mix of cultures, but she's also got this really strong sense of I'm going to do what's right. Yeah, and, and I guess I'm not right, allied to right any now. particular exactly. I'm not allied to any particular side, you know. Till the end, I am going to go for what's right, and I'm going to fight for that. Mm. And I love that she told them that because she didn't necessarily yes. need to. No. But she just wanted to make sure that they knew where she was at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, I really respect that. And, you know, they, they were a bit like, oh, is she... There was a little bit of... A few people were dubious about where... Can we not? trust her? Exactly. Yeah. Is she, you know, she's not fully on our side. She might be right now, but there's a part of her mind and her heart that isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that she is quite interesting is that she 
was she believed that the more people of Indian heritage who signed up for the war and did their bit and helped out, that the more that this was going to heal the rift oh, between the countries. Of course, she yes. is a She is a really mm. strategic thinker on mm. all these things. It's fantastic. Mm. It's one of the reasons I absolutely love her. So, um, she signs up to the WAF in 1940, in November. Now, she's only just arrived in the UK. She moves over in 1940 and almost immediately she signed up to them and they, you know, and they take her on. Now, she's busy kind of training away and she's training as a radio operator. And into all of this comes the SOE, the Special Operations Executive. Basically, these guys are the spies. And they are looking for the right kind of person to come and be a spy for them. And they spot her. And she is excelling at all of her training. She's amazing. She's doing everything that, you know, perfectly and, and mm-hmm. is clearly driven and, and all this. Absolutely sort of smashing it. Plus, what's the other thing that really helps out? She speaks fluent French. Oh, yes. Mm. She's so, got so many strings to her bow, this I mean, one, doesn't so she? So many, so many. And so they approach her and they say, look, this is what we've got. This is what we want you to come and do. We want you to go and be a radio operator in France. So occupied France. Now, they were very honest with her and they said, look, it's a very, very dangerous job. Um, The pay is terrible as well. And she was like, yep, sign me up. Don't care. (gasps) She just goes for it. She's like, yes. okay." And I mean, I say it's a dangerous job. I mean, it really was. Firstly, you've got this radio tech that you've got to carry around with you, which costs. uh, Oh, sorry, which costs and which weighs about 20 pounds. So it's not light. Um, it's quite bulky. It's very hard to conceal. Um, if you stay on air more than about 15 or 20 minutes, then the enemy are going to detect you. Oh. And the average lifespan, how, how long would you reckon would be the average lifespan of a field agent doing that job? I would say a couple of weeks. Yeah, six weeks. Oh, my God. Six weeks is the average lifespan of a field agent once they've gone into occupied territory. So it must be dangerous. But she decided to do it. And yet, so, yes, she knows that. She's been told, you know, I wonder if they said that, you know, you most people have about six weeks. Yeah. And I think she would have been. Yeah, because, they, you know, they were very they're very honest with all of their all of their staff, all of their agents, all their spies. They, you mm. know, you're not going to sort of hide that from people, are you? No. So one morning in 1942, so she signed up in 1940, and this is two years later. She's gone through her training and all this kind of thing. Um, her colleagues in the WAF, uh, so the Women's Air Auxiliary Force just woke up one morning and found that she disappeared. There was no note. There was no um, kind of I'm going here. Write me. Write you know. Write to me here. Just a, there was a folded blanket on her bed and she'd gone for her career in the Secret Service. Wow. Just and that of course of course she didn't tell it. anybody. So it was like exactly. off she goes. Exactly. So. She went into her training as a secret agent. She They taught her how to live with a false identity and be able to um, transmit your radio uh, signal um, in secret and to kind of, you know, avoid detection. And she, it was kind of, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you'd imagine a, sc- a spy school would be. She is being taught to um, fire guns and put explosives and break locks and, and you know, kill people. I mean, obviously that's not something she wanted ever to do, but she's got to have that training anyway. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And sending coded things and, and, and Morse code, like all of this stuff. And, and I, I guess it would have been really quick as well. Like the training would have been fast and heavy because obviously they just, they haven't got that much time. Well, actually, no, it's about a year. It's oh, about, it's about a, year a year before she goes. Oh. So she, she, um, well, actually, I don't know exactly how long it was. It was in 1942 that she she started it, and she went over in June 1943, so at okay. least half a year, but probably, you know, somewhere between half a year and a year. Mm. Um, because, you know, this is something that, if, you're, if your average lifespan is six weeks, and that's with all the training, you're going to make sure you train these people up as much as you oh, possible. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, she's also, one of the things, I love this, it's kind of, um, they're, they're taught about how, um, what life is like in occupied France. And they're also shown loads of pictures of the enemy so that you can kind of spot them from their, you know, from their uniforms and stuff like that, which is hilarious. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, she goes out on June the 16th of 1943. Uh, uh, and she is flown uh well she's kind of she's taken firstly to uh a, an airfield 
Um, and then she has she has um, all of everything's checked. So her pockets are all checked because you want to make sure she's got no English things in there that could give her away, like train tickets or you know anything like that. She's been she's given a false passport. She's given some French francs. Right. Her gun. And then she's also got the cyanide pills as well. Oh. Which is the thing, if you're captured, you use that. Yes. Now, she's then flown over to France. And when she's flown over... Can I just ask a question? Yeah. With the cyanide pills, how long until they take over? Oh, they're very quick. Really quick. Yeah, you bite them and then they're very quick. Really? You've not seen James Bond? Yes, but... (laughs) (laughs) But you never know exactly how quick... Like, is it literally like... I think minutes. Minutes, wow. And I am going to preface this by saying she doesn't use the cyanide pills. Okay, good. Don't get too caught up on them. Good. use them. Okay, that's not a crux point. That's not a crux point, no. Just (laughs) just an interesting little fact that that that's what she had with her. Anyway, so she goes over to France. When she goes to France, this is where, uh, you know, again, we get this sense of Noor just being like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Mm. She is not only the first... um, female wireless operator to be sent to the country by the uk she is also the first female agent to be parachuted behind enemy lines yeah how she suddenly got to this point and quite quickly it seems yeah absolutely absolutely now there'd been women who'd gone there before but they'd been couriers so not Mm. the same thing and this kind of thing so anyway she must have had such a a strong personality you know for people to really trust her and know that she's going to do a good job she must have walked into a room and really owned it yeah and from reading a little bit about what people said about her she seemed to be very sort of she had quite a calming presence Mm. which i think is rather lovely because she's got this obviously she's so innately sure in who she is and what she wants to achieve, that there's a, I guess there's a calmness that comes with that, isn't there? Yeah, probably like a cool head. Yeah. yeah. And just a, a sort of sense of purpose and a yeah. sense of being. Yeah, can handle pressure. Definitely. Clearly, I mean, mm, clearly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she lands in, uh, in France and then she travels to Paris. And one of the things that she's going to do, well, the main thing she's going to do is she's going to link up with the French Resistance Network. Now, there's a whole variety of different networks that are all part of the resistance. And the one in this area is called Prosper. And it's one of the major big resistance um, networks. So she gets there. Within a week, all of the major members of Prosper... Um, particularly the agents are captured by the Nazis and all within of their work within a week of her being there now not her she evades capture which is amazing basically what had happened is the um, the resistance had been infiltrated uh, by tons of double agents and they had no idea mm-hmm. that that was the case and how, quite how deeply they were embedded in the resistance network so that's what happened but not amazingly, doesn't does, she doesn't get arrested? Part, may, it may be that she was new, and you know she hadn't kind of appeared on the on the Nazi list quite so much. But but realistically, the the network would have known who she was anyway. So um, she's given the code name Madeline, I should say as well. Madeline. Code name Madeline. So that's what she's known as. And nobody, in fact, I don't think even the Germans know her as Nor Khan, Nor Anyak Khan. They know her as Nora Brown, I think. Okay. Um, when they finally get to it, but you know that's not really her name. That's a sort of a bit of a, a mix of her mother's name and and her name. So you know, still okay. not hers. Yeah. So when everyone's arrested, Nor is told, "Look, go into hiding. Just just lie low." And with another um, SOE agent, so the special operations um, agent, she really lies low and she starts gathering information about who's betrayed them and who else is being arrested and all this sort of stuff. Now. London contacted her and said, come back. It is too dangerous. Don't, you know, the, 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 the network's gone. You're in serious peril. Come back to, come back to the UK. And Nora's like, no, I've got a job oh. to do. I'm staying here. Oh, God. Yeah. This needs to she, be made into a film if it hasn't you know already what? been. It really does. And it, yeah, we'll come, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. Oh, um, gosh, you can just imagine it, can't you? They're on the phone to her saying, come back, come back, abort, abort. Yeah. And she's like, no, puts the foot down, just Absolutely. carries on. Because as oh. well as, you know, being who she is and, and having this sort of very, um, you know, this sense of, of this is who I, this is what I need to do. Mm. She is also the 
only um, British agent left in Paris. So she knows if she does, if she's not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. No one else will. No. She and she is, is the last thread. She's the last radio link. And so she says, look, I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to keep, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. <sighs> and she takes on basically the work of six different radio operators. And she is oh, just, yeah. you know, now the Germans clock on very quickly to her. Mm. They know exactly who she is. Well, you know, not exactly who she is, but they know they know that they're after her. Mm. Um, they could even hear the transmissions <gasps> that she was making, but they couldn't catch her. She took her, her, her wireless, this massive sort of £20 um, bulky wireless kit with her everywhere um, in a suitcase. And she, you know, she's, quite, she's quite small. She's quite slight. So it's a lot to carry with her. And she has quite a few narrow escapes. Um, there's one occasion where she's stopped on the um, metro system in Paris and these German officers question and they say, what's in your suitcase? <gasps> she has to open it up. And they say, you know, what is this? And she says, well, it's it's a cinema, like a cinema thing oh for, for cinematography. I mean, look, you can you can see that. Look at the light bulb. This is what happens. And the German soldiers didn't know any better. So they let oh. her go. Oh, my God. Pounding heart. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. And there was another occasion where she was apparently hanging out of a window to try and, you know, send these, these radio transmissions. And a, and a German officer who lived in the building saw her doing this hmm. and came in and said, you know, what are you doing? And she, and she said something like, oh, I'm... I'm trying to get, um, you know, radio reception for listening to radio or something like that. And he helped her put the aerial in place. <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, Gosh. she is quick. Wow. Whatever she's, she's, you know, she's just going, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. It's this. And they're taking mm. it. They're absolutely taking it. So they really come really quite close to her on a few occasions. And what a lot of her messages do, are they're really, really helpful for setting the ground for the success of D-Day which will be in 1944. Okay. So this is incredibly important. Now there's a few, um, there was a chap who um, spoke to the Guardian newspaper a while ago, a guy called Arthur Majida, and he was uh, authoring, he was writing a book on Noor. And he said that he had managed to get an account uh, by another French resistance fighter, a chap called Pierre Viennot. And he'd written a kind of memoir, but that wasn't published. It was for his family. And so he managed to get hold of this and they it, it sheds a little bit of light on what on you know what's going on in 1943 so that the the nazis the gestapo are, are kind of they're closing in you know and the rest of the resistance are doing everything they can to keep her from being detected they take her to this um place where she can get a whole new wardrobe except everything she's chosen is blue she loves the colour blue and the Gestapo knows this. And apparently he reckons that this was quite a key factor in, in eventually giving her away because they knew what she, they, they didn't know what she looked like, but blue was the colour that they were kind of looking out for. Oh, right. Yeah. And he also, also I said, guess, I mean, were other people not really wearing blue at the time? I don't know, but it seems that like, she wanted her kind of whole wardrobe to be blue. So you just, so you know, she, she's always you wearing always blue. always saw her in blue. Absolutely. Mm. Um, he also said that he, um, he'd been working with her for a few weeks and she was absolutely exhausted she could they went to a cafe and he said look she couldn't she could even sit up and he oh. said look let's go to a local hotel we're going to pretend that we're lovers we're going to ask for a room and he said they got this room and she just collapsed on the bed and just slept oh. and then a couple of hours later she woke up and then they started work um Gosh, you know, well, i'm not surprised i mean the stress and the anxiety because you know she might yeah. have been good under pressure and had a cool head but you know come on she's human she's, and she's doing the work of six radio operators scared. yeah so she's gonna be busy and, and and exhausted and running and you know all that kind of stuff and like just carrying really... the box round yeah exactly so now this ends the way that you probably think it's going to end mm. uh she is betrayed by a, a, a female colleague oh and she's arrested by the gestapo um, apparently, this this colleague sold her address <gasps> to the Gestapo for a hundred thousand francs, which is a lot of money. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if she um, actually got it. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, um, Nor is arrested and she's taken to Germany. Now, what's slightly unwise is she has kept copies of all of her these signals that she's been sending. Oh God! Um, and the Germans used the the radio and sort of the, 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 the format of what she'd been using to trick London to sending new agents who were then immediately arrested. Now, 
I love that also Noor does not take uh, being locked up lying down. She escapes twice. <gasps> yeah. The first one she escapes and is, is captured a few hours later. And the second one, which sounds like a really quite amazing attempt, she gets out through um, the sky window in the, the place she's being kept with two other people. And they kind of start, they, they get out and they, they start kind of climbing across the roof. And then <laughs> typically uh, the RAF start bombing as they're oh, on the roof. Oh, you can yeah. just imagine it. Like, as I say, this really needs to be a film. It, because, oh my goodness, it God, really does. Cue the James Bond theme tune. Right? I mean, this is the thing. This is a real life spy who is just incredible. So when this, when the RAF start bombing, the sirens go off and the Germans find, find the, you know, search the rooms and find them on the roof. So, you know, and they try to get her to, this is the best bit. They try to get her to sign an agreement to say that she's not going to try and escape again. And she's like, I'm not going to sign that. She refuses to sign it. Oh, good for her. Which is hilarious. So they, she is treated as a very high level, quite dangerous prisoner to them. She's taken off to a prison in Germany. Um, This is about November of 1943. So, you know, knocking on. She's been um, captured uh, in November. Um, She's taken off to Germany and she's kept in, oh, this is where it gets really awful. She's kept in solitary confinement. And because because she's considered to be such a threat and such a dangerous prisoner, and she's also shackled in chains and foot irons. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's really, really um, not not very pleasant at all. And Do you think they know this back in Britain? Oh, I'm all, I, I'm sure that they would have known that she was captured, whether or not they'd known where she's gone. I mean, I, I that I don't know. Mm. Um, now, <laughs> this is you know she she still kind of carries on. She's she's not gonna be cowed by the fact that she's in a very high security prison in Germany in leg irons she starts communicating with the other prisoners the other female prisoners in the other cells by scratching messages on her food bowl oh which my is really quite me. amazing and the messages Just with her sort of, cutlery or her with what I don't know what she was scratching with whatever really anything, you know, anything sharp you can find mm. and there were mess- they basically pass messages back and forth now the other um women are in cells where they can hear the RAF planes flying overhead so they're giving her updates on the progress of the war and all this kind of thing and she is at this prison for about 10 months now it gets to September of 1944 and by this point 1944 we will have had D-Day so the Allies are approaching the Germans are um sorry I shouldn't say Germans the Nazis are on you know they're, they're probably panicking quite a little bit you know and they decide that she and uh, three other of the SOE agents are going to be transferred to Dachau concentration camp. God. Which is um, where they go on the 30th of September. Now, she, she's been all this time. She's been being tortured at the prison. She has not given away any information. Nothing mm. at all. Mm. She's not broken. She has not given away any of the, of the, 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 the you know, um, the the link the chain of people she's not given away a thing so mm. they're keeping you know they're keeping her in the hope that she might um but clearly she you know she, she's not going to do it she's not going to no hugely loyal and when they get to Dachau she's she's pulled away from the other um women this other three women and she is tortured again <gasps> Re- you know really quite badly and she's tortured all night long and she's kind of kicked and beaten and everything and eventually when she can't take any more they shoot her Oh my god! Yeah, they execute her. Not not execute her in the way that they did, you know, lining people up against the wall or anything. They just shot her, just shot her right there. Oh, and her they last... just knew they was they were never going to get the information yeah, out, you know, out of her. And they're oh, probably by this point, September forty four. They're probably getting a little bit desperate. I mean, they're also yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. that the the Brits and you know or the Allies are not going to get as far as this and find all of these concentration camps and stuff, which of course, as we know, is wrong. But mm. they're probably they've got the willies a little bit, you know. They're yeah. they're, they're freaking out. It is said that her last reported word was liberté. Wow. It's amazing. Now, that night that she was murdered, her mother and her brother were back in London and they had the same dream. <gasps> Nor came to them. She was surrounded by blue light and she said... Oh my God, I've free. literally got chills. I know. Ah! Yeah. So she, said, she tells them that she's free. I know, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, honestly, incredible. that just like, this wave just went over me then. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Now, it, so if you remember, her um, code name was Madeleine. Mm. 
And in France, because of course she she was French, essentially, you know, she grew up there. Um, she might not have been born there, but she, you know, she grew up in France and she was to all intents and purposes French. She is remembered very heavily as a heroine of the resistance. Mm. There is a, a plaque outside the family home that they used to live in. And every year on Bastille Day, a band plays outside her house. Oh, that's Lovely. beautiful. There's, I love um, that. there's a square in that same town called the Cour Madeleine after her. And, you know, she is, she's been really hailed as... Well, yeah. In fact, they, they have called her... Um, the mayor of Paris, I think it was, called her the modern Joan of Arc. Oh, it's rather interesting. Gosh. But she was slightly less um, rewarded in the UK. She, she did um, get... She was only one of three women... Uh, from the the SOE to be awarded the George Cross. Now, the George Cross, if you don't know, is the uh, the highest military honour that can be given um, to people essentially who die for the military. The the other two, there's uh, Violette Sabo and Odette Hallows. Now they're they're better known. They've actually talking about films. They have had films made about their lives. Okay. Interestingly. Mm. Nor has not, and I think she is prime for that story being told. Anyway, mm. um, so she does get the um the george cross uh which is i think given in 1949 so shortly after the second world war and 1946 she also gets the french version um okay. of that as well so you know they uh, the, it's called the croix de guerre uh, and that's awarded literally straight after the war but apart from that she's then kind of forgotten in the uk or clearly not in france she's very much not um mm. but her her story, and this is, I think it's so sad that we, we are very quick to forget women like this. You know, she is the first Muslim woman to be going, or, or you know, or woman even, to mm. be going into um, allied territory as a spy. You know, it, it's very, very, um, she's a very big deal. There's a lady called Shrabani Basu, and she decided that she was going to write the biography of Nora. I think the book is called Spy Princess. Mm. She wrote this in 2006. And at this point, everyone's like, oh my goodness, who is this woman? This is incredible. Yeah. Because her story had just been forgotten. And um, Shrabani, along with a variety of other people, set up uh, a sort of organisation to campaign for a sculpture of her. Ooh. And that sculpture was put in place in 2012. Uh, Princess Anne unveiled it uh, with Shrabani, who was there as well. Um, and in fact, the, even the statue was a bit problematic. So they they, they spent years raising money um, for the statue, and they they did kind of concerts with famous uh, indie musicians like um, Anusha Shankar played as well. Oh wow! And there was a um, uh, uh, you know support, massive support in the government. Actually, there was um, a, a, a you know early day motion that was tabled and all this sort of stuff. And people that signed it included Glenda Jackson who, as we know, is, uh, a, a, you know, a very prominent um, woman and also, you know, very much um, up for women's rights as well mm. and all this kind of thing. And it was kind of a cross-party thing. And the University of London said, yep, yeah, brilliant, we would love it to be put in Gordon Square near the University of London. And then Camden Council delayed the approval of it. No. And this is literally a couple of weeks before the it's due to be unveiled. And there was a petition that was put around and 700 letters of support from all around the world arrived on the desk of Camden Council. Oh, And then they were kind of like, oh, no, it's all fine. It's all fine. It's just going through. But what was it? What was their reasoning? What was I mean, they they just said that it was it was just going through the same application that all the processes follow i mean who knows who knows that was the the party line whether or not there was more to it than that the main thing is how many people wrote letters of support that's that's amazing that's amazing and then it was um, permission was granted just three weeks before it ended up being installed and unveiled which is amazing wow i've never seen it no, it's 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 on Gordon Square. It's it's a bit tricky to find, but it's lo- it's really lovely actually. It's a really lovely. Mm. Um, I think it's bronze. Okay, picking that up. Um, but interestingly, Nor is the first and up until this point the only Muslim woman to be honoured with a statue in Britain. <gasps> yes, girl, absolutely. And we've we've talked in the past about um, and you know I talk on my Women of Westminster walk and things like that. Uh, that it is, you know, there are very few sculptures of women around. Mm. And in the UK, there are currently more statues of men called John than there are statues of historical women. That is ridiculous. I know, I know. 
God. But what's lovely is this story about Noor has been picked up and it really entered the public consciousness and people love the story of her and just what an amazing woman she was. In 2014, they issued um, a new series of stamps and her face was one of the stamps, uh, one of the people that was on the stamps. Yeah. There's talk that she may appear on British coins at some point. Oh, oh, this is fantastic. So yeah, people are really starting to get to know her story. Absolutely. Uh, And then in 2020, so only last year, in August, they unveiled a blue plaque to her in Bloomsbury, uh, which is where she lived. And again, that was spearheaded by Shravani, who wrote her, um, her biography. Wow. Yeah, and that's and you know you might you might be spearheading something here, Alex. You know, you <laughs> well, never know because you might some kind of director or something might be listening very to this happy podcast to write and be a like, for a movie. Yes, we very happy to do that. But I mean, incredible. And just there are so many sort of visual things about her story as well that it, it's just it, it's just incredible. And she, what a what a woman! I mean, she just obviously had such a sense of purpose and self mm. that she's like right. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And then when I've done that, I'm going to go and do this. And then I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go and, and get stuck in with all the stuff that I feel you know, strongly about. Just, I love that sense of, I'm going to go and do what's right. Amazing woman. Mm. It just seems like any anything that came her way, she just grabbed it with both hands and then some. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I just love this thing of her, of them going, look, it's pretty dangerous. And actually I should mention, so um, the average life, you know, life expectancy of one of these people is six weeks. She lasted three months on her own mm. with nobody else there no other agents the the resistance has been massively you know kind of well decimated really and she lasts three mm. months like that is testament to her, God. her just her, her her power and her you know her what well, i'm trying to think of the, the right word but just the, her ability to determination yeah determination i guess yeah what mm. an amazing woman yeah Gosh, and to be tortured so viciously, it seems. Yeah. Over the course and, of almost a year. not letting that information... Oh, God, yeah. I guess she knows, you know, I've come this far. I've gone through so much. I'll be damned if I'm going to just yep. suddenly... Oh, right, Carmen. <laughs> just suddenly, you know, give this information away. Yeah, I mean, just... What an amazing woman. What an amazing woman. So there we go. So that is Noor in Ayat Khan. Wow, I had no idea about her story at all, Alex. That was that was brilliant. Thank I knew you. the outlines, which is why I wanted to pick her. But I, having done loads of research, I'm just incredible, absolutely incredible. So you can go yeah. and buy. There is the um, even more in love spy, spy Princess. It's called is the biography of her by uh, Shribani Bosu. Um, so do go and you know do go and buy that. And then there was another chap who wrote um, a, a book about her too. But I, I say go for the go for the official biography, really. Yeah, mm, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yay. Podcast pedestal. So we need to pick our podcast pedestals, the crux points of this week's story that we think were really kind of key in in her story. So what are you what are you gonna go for? So I think I know uh I mean there are so many, but I think I'm gonna go for the fact that she she spoke French. I think Ooh. that was that was a, a big old key for her. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Because mm. that was a huge, you know, way in, wasn't it? Because although yeah. she was with the WAF, the fact that she was, um, she could speak French suddenly yeah. got her into a completely different situation. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go for that. Okay. I, oh, I'm, I'm really torn because there's so many bits that I love about this story. Um, I think... And I don't know how we're going to word this with the limited characters, but I'm going to go for her refusal to come back to London and to kind of keep going on with that job that she was committed to doing. Oh, that's a good one. Because, yes, I mean, you get to know so much about her from that decision. Yeah. That's great. It, it, it kind of, for me, it just, it says about what she's about. You know, determination, commitment to the cause, and, and, and also the knowledge that there's a high chance she ain't going to make it out alive. Yeah. And yet she's still, she's still putting herself because, you know, through she, that. We saw from her interview, she's got other stuff that she wants to fight for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, realistically, yeah. you'd have thought she'd be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to come back and live to fight another day. And she's like, no, no, I'm doing this. I'm here. I'm doing it. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go for that. Her refusal to come back to London when 
requested. I don't know how you're going to word that, but we'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> we're, 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 yeah, we'll we'll think of something. There we go. Um, Those are that options is a very good week, one. Ooh, we shall the, see. The poll will go up on Sunday on Instagram. You're welcome to drop us an email. Uh, ladies who London at gmail.com if you want to vote or you can just write a note on the on the post that goes up uh, today entirely up to you um, so there we go the wheel of destiny right we have to spin the wheel of destiny to find out the where we're going wheel next of destiny we are ready for the wheel this is where we're um, going to find out where we're going to go next week what emily is going to talk about next week yes. what are you thinking are you thinking person event place what what are you fancying um i think i'd quite like to talk about a person okay um i spoke about the festival of britain and i think i spoke about an event before that so yeah, yeah you've done I think quite I'm, a lot of events and stuff yes lately, so i think so. i'm gonna go for a person so i know right we'll see whether the Let's wheel lands out. off we go Oh, oh, it's, do you know what? There are a few places on the wheel, Alex, and I have to tell people that we've never been to. You know, we haven't landed on every single... Oh, no, bit. we haven't. We, haven't, we no. have switched a couple out when we've when we've been there quite a few times, haven't we? But yeah, true. That, yeah. Um, but it's landed in Hyde Park. And if memory serves, we, we haven't were... had Hyde Park, have we? Um, or have we? I don't know. No, maybe we haven't. I don't think we have. Oh, this is exciting. Think, oh, yeah, new one. Okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, um, goodness, there's so much oh you can my talk God. about there. Okay, for Hyde Park. I mean, there's been You so want many... a person, don't you? Not an event. I want a person, yeah. I mean, obviously, oh it's very well. well known for its events. Um, oh, there's so many statues and things in there that are connected to people. There are. You've got J.M. Barry and Peter Pan and all that kind of thing. And you've got Speaker's Corner I there. did him on Global Tea Break there, didn't I? Oh, you know someone that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago? Oh. Or maybe, did I mention him last week? Jack Shepard. Oh, <gasps> it's about the house of detention. Jack Shepard is amazing. I could talk about Jack Shepard. Yes, do Jack Shepard. I won't say now why, but he has connections to that area. So yes. I yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jack yeah. Do, do Jack Shepard. Yeah, He's amazing. Okay, yeah. all right, let's do that. Jack okay. Shepard. Fantastic. Great. Nice. Well, there we go. I'm looking Lovely. forward to that. Oh, he is—he's a bit of a—he's a bit of a local legend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Old honest Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's it for this week. Cool. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank uh, you, Lovely to have you all back, and um, we will see you next week for a bit of Jack Shepherd loveliness. Don't go googling him. Don't no, do it. No, don't. No, don't do it. Don't do it. No, no. You're gonna love it. Save it. Save it. Yeah. And yeah, keep hydrated out there, guys, because it is honestly so hot and it's going to continue to be hot until the is end it? of the week, I think. Yeah. Oh gosh. yeah. I'm going to go and get in the paddling pool. Oh, I'm so jelly. Come <laughs> over. Oh, please. All right, my lovelies, we'll see you next week. Take All care. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.